Welcome to Words with Wishlist. I'm Wishlist, also known as Wish on the Beat or Emily Davidson. I'm a songwriter, music producer, multi-instrumentalist, and former classical cellist and music educator. In this podcast, we explore inspirational topics on self-reflection and personal growth with creatives in mind. Whether you're a professional artist or a passionate hobbyist, I hope to offer some insight and food for thought for anyone on a creative journey. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Words with Wishlist. In today's episode, I want to talk about the importance of making art for ourselves before thinking about our audience. Now, of course, if we're professionals or particularly ambitious people, we're always thinking about the reception of our art, the success of our art, but we can't forget the importance of why we're doing it in the first place. So I'm going to share a couple examples from my own journey and just kind of talk about why it's so important to not forget that your art exists for you before it exists for anybody else. And being an artist is not something we're just born as and then we're finished. Of course, we're all born with innate creative abilities to varying degrees, but becoming an artist is a process like anything else, and it's a process that really never ends. If we look at great artists and musicians from history and current times, they're always changing and evolving throughout their entire careers and usually their entire lives. So there's no one moment where we arrive as an artist and then we have a status quo we can just uphold. Maybe that'll last for a certain period of time. But again, when we're thinking about longevity in our careers, which is something I'm really big on, it's important to remember that we are always evolving and changing. And while that may involve making a public product for people to consume in one way or another, it's important to remember that all of that is coming from our own personal artistic journey. Some of these themes are going to overlap a little bit with the last episode, which was about imposter syndrome, and a lot of that episode was talking about really focusing more within and less without as an artist. And this is jumping off of that same theme, because if we're really focused on meeting our own personal standard that we've already set, it's going to lock us into doing a lot of the same stuff and hoping for the same results. But part of being a creative is about responding to inspiration, and inspiration is always changing because it comes from our lives, from our environment, from the types of things we're exposed to, and all of that is pretty out of our control. So if we're artists responding to the environment, to our lives, it's natural that what we're doing and what we're creating is going to change. And it's easy if we've had success in a particular area before that we want to kind of stick to that because we know, okay, this works, this is successful, let me keep doing this. But it really does box us in creatively and stops our development if we limit ourselves in that way. And while you might have gotten success from a particular thing at a particular time, people and everything is always changing around us. So we can't expect that sticking to the same thing is going to work forever. And if we spend too long kind of doubling down on that approach, we're going to find once things do change that we've stifled ourselves for so long that we're not able to bounce back and pivot. So it's important from the beginning to always be creating from a place of personal inspiration, regardless of what we think our audience or our fans or the audience we're hoping to seek what they want. It's not really about what they want. It's about what we want to create as an artist because that's what's going to make it authentic and that's what's going to make people connect to it. And once again, that's what's going to feed the longevity of our careers is our authenticity and our own personal connection to our creative work. 
I think it's also important to acknowledge that things that we make or create along our creative journey, while not all of them are going to be a huge success, that doesn't mean they're not a huge part of sending us in the direction that we need to go artistically. An example for me is when I started Wishlist, my songwriting and production project, I was pretty adamant that I did not want to be incorporating cello into the project when I started. This was about mid to late 2017. And of course, because I was already a professional cellist and I had spent many years performing cello and cello is somewhat of a unique instrument, everybody told me to put cello in my music and that it would really set me apart and all these things. And I didn't disagree, but for me at the time, it wasn't authentic to incorporate cello because I was still developing as a songwriter and producer, and I really wanted to focus on developing those skills and doing what felt authentic to me at that time. If I was forcing cello into the music just to set me apart with the cello, uh, it would have felt like a little cheap or it would have felt like a compromise and I just didn't want to do that. The whole point of making Wishlist was to have a creative project that was super true to me, that wasn't following all the rules and expectations of classical music that I was moving away from. So I just didn't want to put cello in there and I didn't. But of course, I've worked with so many amazing producers, songwriters, composers throughout being Wishlist and living in LA and... So many of them tried to encourage me to put cello in my music, and all of them helped me see the light a little bit in different ways. So it was the end of 2019 when I finally took a wishlist song and put some cello in it. And that song, which is called Hurt Me, never really did anything performance-wise. You know, it didn't really take off in any way. It was still fairly early on in me developing Wishlist, and I didn't have a lot of ways to promote my music outside of my little small circle at that time. You know, who knows if I release the same song now, how it would perform. But at the time, the song didn't really do that much, but it was the first song where I felt like I was able to incorporate my cello playing in a way that was really organic, that works really well with my style of songwriting and my general song arrangements. And actually, if you listen to that song now, it really is the foundation for the direction that the wishlist sound ended up going, which was kind of guitar driven, but with some string elements. And had I not decided to put cello in that song, it wouldn't have set me on the path to incorporate cello in my future music that ended up performing very well. So, you don't want to look at things in an isolated bubble like, well, this didn't perform well and so that shows I shouldn't have done it. I understand how making the song hurt me and putting cello in it was a step in my own artistic journey and not necessarily something that immediately gave me back the feedback and the numbers that I wanted, but it set me going in a direction that was very important for me at that time. And there's a lot of my music that I can look back and feel that way about because I have released so much music, especially in the past year or two, I really prioritized releasing as much music as possible. And when you're doing that, you know, you don't have a lot of time to overthink or obsess about one release being the perfectly branded, you know, release. It's like, I'm just making music, trying to get it finished, whatever gets finished gets released. And so I've put out a lot of things that have all been steps along my artistic journey. And for every song or every beat that I finish and release, it's deepening my own artistic understanding of myself. It's taking me on a journey for the length of that song and that project, however much I work on it. It's deepening my understanding. And I've talked a little bit in the past about being 
formally studied in classical music, but being self-taught in music production and songwriting. And while both are great, and I do plan to have a future episode on the podcast about um, the differences and the benefits of being self-taught versus being formally trained, um, one great way to make being self-taught work for you is still putting in a lot of work to complete things and check things off the list and move along to the next thing, keep the volume of work going because it simulates the experience of formal study. If we look back at, for me, my music school years, either in my undergrad or my master's program, there's so much we do in a school curriculum or any program that is not all necessarily directly going to be exactly what we're doing once we're a professional out in the real world. There's a certain amount of classes or repertoire or whatever it is that we have to study and learn and get to a certain level that isn't super necessarily where we're going to end up. But doing it enriches us and deepens our own artistic understanding. It teaches us things we might not have expected, especially if we weren't drawn to, you know, performing that repertoire or learning how to do that specific thing. It sort of just forces us to learn through the process. And that is so incredibly valuable. And you don't have to be in school to simulate that. So for me, so many of my beats and my songs that I made, regardless of their success, were all deepening my own artistic journey and sort of showing me where I was going to go next. But had I been someone that was so focused on creating something for the audience or creating what people wanted to hear or trying to follow up on exactly what I did last time that was successful, I would be diverting myself from so many parts of my artistic journey. And thankfully, I knew when I made Wishlist and even when I made Wish on the Beat that I wanted to be really true to what I wanted artistically because I had spent enough time in classical music having to do what I was supposed to that it was really important to me that I put my own artistic interests first. So because of that, I made a lot of stuff and released a lot of stuff that wasn't necessarily super successful, but again, set me on the path of where I am today. So I think it's so important for artists to always be creating from that place of inspiration and excitement. And don't be afraid to even follow through and release those things if you're excited about them, even if you think they're not perfectly aligned with your audience or what people expect from you. I know for me, as of now, the most successful self-made track that I've ever done was a lo-fi beat called Wish You Were Here. I released it first as Wish on the Beat, which is my instrumental lo-fi project. And it did so well organically that I ended up repurposing that instrumental and putting vocals over it and releasing it as Wishlist as a cover of Kanye West's Runaway. I just noticed that the vocal from Runaway fit perfectly over that instrumental, so I ended up just kind of spontaneously deciding to release it as a cover, and then that song performed very well too, again being the same instrumental as Wish You Were Here. And Wish You Were Here was probably the most out-of-the-box thing I ever made. I was in a good position at the time, I was working on it. Uh, Early 2020, I had just started Wish on the Beat, my lo-fi project, so I was experimenting in a new style. I was experimenting with making instrumental beats that didn't have any songwriting or vocals, so it was still kind of new to me, and I was just trying things out. And I really just followed my heart and made something that I didn't feel, you know, was fitting any criteria. I just 
was playing my instruments. It started with guitar over a drum loop, and then I decided to add some cello in. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what genre this is. I have no idea what style this is. I mean, it's kind of lo-fi because of the drum loop that I'm using, but it's just kind of, I'm just making music. I don't really know what this is. And I would have never expected it to do as well as it did. And especially if I were trying to create within a framework, I was trying to make something that already sounded like popular lo-fi or that just already sounded in line with what I had done in the past, I would have never even made that beat. So just allowing myself to follow my own creative impulses and follow them through all the way to release is what allowed me to open up as an artist and as a musician. And then of course, to see the success from that to me, that didn't say, oh, I need to make a bunch of beats exactly like this one because this one did well. To me, what that showed me is listening to my own creative intuition is the best thing that I can do. And I really think that's true for all artists because as I've talked about in the imposter syndrome episode and other episodes, it's so easy to get sucked into our audience reception and the expectations and what our peers are doing that we can have these creative impulses and actually stifle them or not give them the attention they deserve because we think, oh, that doesn't fit with, you know, what I'm trying to do. We're trying to be business savvy by making those kinds of calls, but being an artist is not a business. And of course, you have to do them both. And I could do a whole episode on that too, you know, being smart about marketing and how you get yourself out there, that's of course an element to being an artist. But when we're talking about just the art itself, we have to be putting our artistic integrity first. So that means not succumbing to the external pressures of what's popular, or what have we done in the past that was successful, but just listening to our creative intuition because that's why we're artists in the first place because we have this creative voice inside of us that wants to assimilate our life experience and spit it back out in a whole new way. And if we're muddying that process with expectations or judgments about our inspiration, all we're doing is blocking that clear channel of our artistic vision. We're getting in the way of that by doing those types of things. So in this example of Wish You Were Here, that's a time that I just followed my artistic inspiration and it led to a success. But in the earlier example with Hurt Me, that's an example where I tried something new and it didn't really give me any sort of immediate response. But I was able to see over time how it set me on the path to make many more songs where I incorporated cello that were successful, that did connect with people. So understanding that we are not just as good as our most recent work. We are constantly a work in progress. We are constantly developing our artistic voice. And the way we do that is by creating without limitation, without expectation, without thinking about the marketing before we're even done with the creative work. We have to let the creativity and the artistry come first and then everything else will follow. It's so important to remember that critical reception is not always an accurate reflection of the quality of your work. And again, if we're thinking big picture, we have to be thinking on our whole artistic development, not just what we're doing right here in this moment, especially if it involves doing something that's trendy or popular that's not going to last. So you're not gonna be able to do something trendy and cool if you want a career that's 10 or 20 years long, because that's always gonna be changing. So who you are as an artist is the thing that can really be eternal and that can 
take you forever is if you're always letting your artistic abilities deepen and your artistic vision widen as you grow as a human being. So many of my covers specifically were done completely spontaneously in response to creative inspiration, not because I knew something was gonna do well. Another example of this is my cover of Dolly Parton's Jolene, which I released in 2020. I was just playing my cello at the time and kind of playing around with a more modern application of my cello playing, like I've been experimenting with doing chord shapes and things like that, ways to make the cello sort of more applicable, almost in a guitar style to some of my music. And I was in a mood or something and I was just feeling the song Jolene. I pulled it up to listen to it for some reason and then started trying to see if I could figure out the chords on my cello because that was sort of what I was playing that day. And I ended up realizing, oh, I can actually fit these chords really nicely on the cello. Let me see if I can sing over this and, and make this work. And it started coming together really fast. So, you know, Jolene is an older song. It's not like this was a trendy thing I was jumping on to try to do the first cover of Jolene. There are so many covers of that song. But just in that moment, it felt really great. So I followed through and I think within about two to three days, I had made the entire cover, produced it, record all the cello parts and the vocals and decided to film a little video for my YouTube channel and just release it. And I think I was able to put the song out on Spotify and streaming stores, you know, about a week or two later. And I was very happy with the cover. I just thought it was creative and interesting and I was really inspired when I did it. I was happy with how it came together and people seemed to enjoy it. I think it expanded its reach a bit because of the nature of what the song was that I was covering, but it didn't really do anything crazy for me. Fast forward now, it's over a year later since I released it, and Lil Nas X, who if you don't know who that is, he's a very popular pop, hip-hop artist right now, he did a cover of Jolene, and I saw his cover and thought, I like him as an artist, but I didn't think the cover was that great, and I was like, you know, my cover's a lot cooler, and for people who are interested in hip-hop, pop kind of style crossing over with the song Jolene, you know, they would probably be interested in my cover if they're interested in his. So I just took my chances and responded to the tweets that were promoting his cover with the link to my cover on YouTube. And, you know, some people think it's like a little cheap to promote yourself that way. And it's not like the classiest move in the world, but I just saw it as a really good opportunity because I always thought my Jolene cover was really creative, but it just never really got discovered anywhere or found by anyone. And then it turns out that people absolutely loved my cover and my response tweet with my YouTube link got over 500 likes and tons of people responding and retweeting saying, this is so cool, I love this. Um, and so it totally branched out my audience and this is something I did a year ago. So if I had evaluated the success of that Jolene cover, you know, if I was a more negative person who didn't see the big picture, I could look and say, well, I decided to do that spontaneously, but it was kind of a waste because nobody really cared that much. It didn't really do anything. And yeah, I guess I had spontaneous inspiration, but what's it good for if, you know, nobody cared? But then here it is over a year later and people love it and nothing about that cover has changed. It just hadn't, you know, reached the right people. So it's even more justification when something like that happens to just listen to your creative voice and just follow through with your creative intuition. It might not give you the results right away, but we can't just be in the marketing space all the time as artists. Like we have to let our art come first, which comes from our intuition and our own connection with our art. So mostly I wanted to remind artists and creatives that what we make is all a part of our artistic journey. 
And sometimes we will make things and release them and promote them that might not, you know, click with every single person, might not perform the way we wanted it to, but it's a very important step in our own personal artistic journey. And it can be hard to see that in the moment. It's usually only looking back that we see, oh, you know, working on that cover, making that song really set me on the path to do this stuff that followed. And all of that is so incredibly important. We can't just be results and metrics oriented or else we're going to miss the whole journey that we have to become the artist that we want to be and to continue to evolve as artists throughout our whole life. So I hope this inspired you to make art even if it's just for yourself and knowing that it's all feeding your journey as an artist. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends on social media. You can reach me at wishlistmusic.com for all my links. See you guys next time.